there's some great things going on in our church, and Rooted is just part of it. We're a church that believes uh, in making disciples who make disciples, and the first step for us here at Grace uh, Bible Church is that we would go through uh, this, this small group called Rooted. Um, church, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Adrian Castillo. I see a lot of new faces. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. For many years or for several years, I served as an associate pastor, and now I'm currently the, the, the pastor of Grace in Espanol. Uh, and so we gather here at 9 in the morning. We gather here at 9 in the morning every Sunday right before you guys show up. And today I have the privilege to, to be here with you guys and to continue our study through the five solas. And uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, sola gratia or grace alone. Um, last week um, we learned that only scripture, scripture alone has the authority for our salvation or gives us the authority for our, our salvation in a way of life. This year, we're going to, I mean, this week, we're going to find out that grace is the only basis for our salvation. And so you would know, we're going to be reading through Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be working through verses 1 through 8. And through these verses, we're hopefully going to begin to understand a little bit about the human condition and this amazing gift of grace that God has given us. As Martin Luther began his doctoral studies, it was one of Augustine's books uh, that really caught his attention. And St. Augustine wrote a lot of books uh, during his time, but the one that really grabbed Luther's attention as he was working on his doctoral uh, or through his doctorate program was the book Confessions. And in this book Confessions, Augustine uh, kind of gives an idea or he tells us a little bit about himself. He, he says that uh, Augustine says that he was born to a Christian mother and to a pagan father. And he says that for all of his life, his Christian mother was praying for him, yet he, uh, on his own, through his own will and his own strength, just dove headfirst right into sin and his sinful nature. And it wasn't until later on in his life that through his mother's constant prayers, Augustine finally came to a point in his life where he said, I don't have the truth. And so St. Augustine be begins a pursuit uh, to, to find this truth uh, that he was in search of. And during that time, uh, Augustine decides to go and sit under the tutelage of, of Bishop Ambrose, who was the Bishop of Milan during that time. And through the tutelage of Bishop Ambrose, and specifically one sermon that the bishop gave, um, as Augustine was sitting there, he was moved and, and he was convicted of his own sin in which he says the weight of his sin came upon him and he was made aware of that. And so as he was feeling this conviction, Augustine gets up and he runs out and he runs to this garden. And there at the garden, there's a bench. And when Augustine ran out, he, he had in his hand the letters from uh, the Apostle Paul that we've come to know in Scripture. But he sets the letters of the Apostle Paul down and he goes and he, and he throws himself face first on the ground because of what he was feeling uh, due to the conviction of his own sin in his life. But it was then and at that moment that while he was there laying on the floor, he heard this young boy singing a song that said, pick up and read, pick up and read. Augustine gets up 
and he goes to the bench and he grabs the Apostle Paul's letters and he begins to read in the book of Romans and in the book of Corinthians and he's moved to understand that God's will for his people would be that we would live without sin, that God's will for his people would be that we would withhold ourselves from sexual immorality, from drunkenness, from orgies, and all of these other sinful things that Augustine had dove headfirst into. And it was at this moment that Augustine was moved completely by the power of God and the understanding of the grace of God in his own sin. And there he put his faith and trust in, in Christ Jesus. Augustine went on to become uh, the Bishop of Hippo and become one of the great theologians that even today we still recognize because of what God did in his life. And it was through this process and through this reading of the story of, of Augustine that Martin Luther, who uh, we would say was the father of the Reformation, he began to, to wrestle with this idea of the human condition and of our sin. And he be, as he began to wrestle with it, he realized and recognized that Scripture clearly teaches that the human nature, the human condition is a sinful one. And because of that, we're in need of something in our lives. And that's where we find ourselves today in this study of the cinco sol or the five solas, sorry, I said that in Spanish, of the five solas of the non-negotiables. And I'm going to propose to you today that through our reading through Ephesians, we are going to be able to see a sermon point here that I've, I've, uh, I've, I've typed up for you guys. And it's this, is that because I am sinful by nature, I must accept God's grace as the only basis for salvation. Let me read that again. Because I am sinful by nature, I must accept God's grace as the only basis for salvation. You see, the, the problem with us many times is that we struggle to understand that we're not that good. We struggle to realize that we are sinful people. And we like to view ourselves in this light that we're not all that bad because I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. I'm not that bad because I'm not as bad as the person next to me. And we start comparing ourselves to others and we start judging or setting the standards of our own righteous living by the sins of others. Instead of going to God and using his holiness and his righteousness, his perfect righteousness to be our standard of living. And see, the idea of the human nature being a sinful one is very important, and we believe it's the first step in coming to trust Christ. Why? Because by the time I realize that I am sinful, then I realize I need a Savior. Let's read what the Apostle Paul uh, writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which... You once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature uh, children of, of wrath like the rest of mankind. I can't help. But look at this text and notice that, number one, Paul is writing to believers in Ephesus. 
So Paul is writing to believers, and he's telling believers, before Christ, this is how God found you. You were dead in what? In your trespasses. Now, I have to ask the question, can dead people do anything for themselves? Can they move? Can they think? Can they, are they even capable of having any emotion within them? No, a dead person is incapable of doing anything for themselves. See, and the death that Paul is talking about here is a spiritual death. Why do we know that? Because he, he connects it with his trespasses and sins. And just like he says in Romans, he says that the wages of sin is what? It's death. So he's talking about this inability to have any spiritual life with God. That's how God found us. Church, that's who you were. And Paul doesn't withhold himself because later on in the text, he inserts himself and he says, we by nature. We all are sinful people. We all are broken. And it's like I told the Spanish congregation this morning, I said, church, you may be getting tired of me telling you you're sinful, but it's necessary. It's necessary because without understanding and realizing that I have sin within me, I begin to think I'm good enough to get to God. I begin to think I'm good enough to get to eternal life and to heaven, and therefore I am no longer in need of Jesus Christ. See, I was taught a doctrine that said that I get to choose God. I choose Christ. I accept him. But the problem is, is that what Paul is telling me here is that I was dead in my trespasses. Therefore, if I'm dead in my trespasses, I mean, I'm unable and incapable or incapable of making any decision or thinking towards God. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verses 10, 10 through 12, he says, as it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I don't know about you, but when I read this text, I see some exhaustive language, some comprehensive words that Paul is using, like none, not one, no one, no one, all, no one, one. No one. No one is good. No one thinks righteously. No one would run to God. If you've never read the first three chapters of the book of Romans, I, I highly encourage you to do so. Because it's, it's, it's Paul's plea to humanity that says that if you ever have a chance to choose anything on your own, you would always choose sin and always reject God. Therefore, as Paul is mentioning here, I was dead in my trespasses. I was dead in my sins. I had given myself over to the passions of my flesh and the desires of the body. I was living according to the course of this world. During every age of humanity, there's been uh, this, this, this uh, authority or this power, this, uh, this world system that runs things. And this world system teaches us to live a certain way, to make decisions a certain way, that we should accept certain things and reject other things. And we, because we live in these systems, we've given ourselves over to them. And that's how we live our life before Christ Jesus. Now, these systems are set up by Satan as, as he is this, this prince and power of the air. He's not everywhere, but he set up a system, and believe me, just like he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, his job and his, 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 his want is to cause all of us to fall in sin and to be separated from God for eternity. And that's who we were. That's what 
we had become. Martin Luther writes this about the human nature. He says, but a man cannot be thoroughly humbled till he realizes that his salvation is utterly beyond his own powers, counsels, efforts, will, and works, and depends absolutely on the will, counsel, pleasure, and work of another, God alone. God alone. Another pastor, James Montgomery Boyce, says this about this passage. He says, like a spiritual corpse, a sinner is unable to make a single move toward God. Did y'all hear that? As a spiritual corpse, as a dead corpse, any person, every person, we're all unable to make a single move toward God. He says, to think a single thought about God. We all think we're good, but without God, we couldn't even think a single thought about him. Or even correctly respond to God unless God is first present to bring the spiritually dead person to life, which is what Paul says God will do. So I, want, I don't want you to walk out of here without knowing this. We are sinful by nature. We are sinful by nature. The other day, walking my kids through these texts, I said it's just like in the jungle, if a man finds himself with a lion, what do you think a lion is going to do? His instincts is going to, it's going to just kick in and the lion is going to kill and eat. That's instincts, that's nature. Well, scripture is telling us that our nature is no matter what, without God, we will always choose sin because that is our nature and that is our instinct. A little gloom, right? Someone just said, I don't like this guy. <laughs> Please take him back to Spanish. <laughs> Church, the very first step for any person to become a believer, to come to faith in Christ Jesus, is to realize that he's helpless. This idea that we can help ourselves is just wrong. And unfortunately, there is a gospel that's being taught that says humanity can help itself, but scripture tells me it can't because we're dead in our trespasses. We must all come to realize our sin and need of repentance and need of a Savior. Let's keep reading Ephesians chapter 4 through 7. Man, and here, here's the goodness of God. Because Paul says, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the unmeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Church, every time I read this text, I get excited because before Christ, I was a sinner, but God. Before Christ, I loved sexual immorality, but God. Before Christ, I loved myself more than anyone else, but God stepped into my life. Not because I was capable of getting to him, because I was incapable. He moved towards me. And just like he moved towards me, he moves towards everyone in grace. Every single person he would call his sons and daughters, he is moving towards you. And he will cause you in his love, his mercy and his grace, in the richness of his grace and mercy. He will cause us to be risen up in Christ Jesus, made alive together with him. 
Listen to the language. Listen, we're dead, a dead corpse, but we're made alive by someone else. It's impossible for a dead corpse to make himself alive. Listen, this gospel that says I can help myself, it puts me at the center of it. The gospel of grace that we teach puts God at the center of it. And when God is at the center, it's immovable, it's unshakable, and it's not going anywhere, and it's eternal. But God introduces the greatness of God's plan of salvation for each and every one of us. And there's a contrast that we have to take a look at. There's a contrast. Every time you see the word but in scripture, ask yourself, where's the contrast? Because there's a contrast to something else. And here it is. Humanity is dead and unable to do anything. But God is alive and active on our, be- on our behalf. See the contrast? Humanity is in sin, but God is in mercy, love, and grace. See the difference, the contrast? Humanity, we're under wrath And God withholds his wrath from those he calls his own. These are the great things that we see. And so just by looking at this, I want you to walk away thinking this. His mercy, his love, and his grace. His mercy, his love, and his grace. What caused you to be alive together with Christ Jesus? His mercy, his love, and his grace. It wasn't that you were super smart and super wise and you went to read scripture, you understand it, you, you were able to understand it all on your own. It wasn't that. It was his mercy, his love, and his grace. And that's what God does for every single one of us. Though we fall short of his glory, he steps into the story and he redeems us through the death of his Christ Jesus and through this amazing gift of grace in order to save us. And nothing, nothing, nothing can ever change that church. So just as in the first point I said, you have to come to recognize your own sin. In the second portion, we have to come and recognize that God is full of mercy, but he was moved by his grace. I mean, by his love. You see, his love caused God to move toward us in this mercy. And what is mercy? It's an act of kindness to someone in desperate need. Why were we in need? Because the wrath of God was upon us. And so it is said in Christianity that the way we view mercy is that it's the withholding of God's judgment from those he loves. And that's what he did, and he did it through grace. I think about this all the time as a father with my kids, and I, and I say to myself, should I be more merciful in order to teach them the mercy and love and grace of Christ Jesus? Or with anyone in life? Because I'm, I'm under the belief that when we come to understand the mercy, love, and grace that God has shown us, we're moved to live in mercy, love, and grace with others as well. How are you moved? Are you moved thinking that you are good enough, or are you moved knowing that it's only through him? Let's keep reading Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and we'll end with this verse. And this, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. This is what we proclaim every Sunday that is a gift from God. Let me read it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Again, taking a look at the language that I see here, I see 
by grace. But what is grace? What is grace? What does it mean that by grace we have been saved? Well, grace is simply unmerited favor. God showed us favor when we didn't deserve it. It's, it's unmerited favor. He showed us favor, as, as the scripture tells us, even while we were sinners, Jesus died on the cross for us. Even while we were sinners, I wasn't making a righteous act or move toward God. I was actively running away from God. But even then, he showed us his mercy and he did it through grace, this unmerited favor which he shows us that I can't earn ever, no matter how many good deeds I do in my life. Because going back to the reality and the truth is that the wage of sin is death. So one lie, that's enough to condemn us for the rest of eternity. And there's no getting out of that unless we come to understand that grace is the only basis of our salvation. The basis of salvation is grace and nothing else. You can't work to earn it. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't receive it or try to attain it on your own with your own strength and through your own will and through your own thoughts. You're not smart enough. No one is. It has to be an act of God in our lives where he steps in. It begins to move our hearts toward the truth through his grace. It's like the Christmas gifts that we give every year. How many of you parents in here, how many of you parents in here, after Christmas and giving your kids these amazing gifts, you walk up to them and say, okay, that was $500. Let me tell you how you're going to work it off. Let me tell you how you're going to earn that gift because everything in this house will be earned. That's what I tell my kids. Everything will be earned. You want a cell phone? You're going to get a job. But I don't do that with Christmas. Why? Because it's a gift. So I asked the question and you chuckled. Rightfully so, because none of us do that, right? None of us would ever make our kids try to repay a gift you've given them. Well, don't you realize that the scriptures are telling us the grace of God is a gift? If, if I don't make my kids work off that gift, you know what that means? That my love is greater than the Father's realize that. I am saying that I am capable of loving my kids in a way that God is unwilling to love his own. And I know that's not true. And I know that's a lie because perfect love comes from him and him alone. So if scripture is telling us that grace is a gift of God, church, we must receive that, accept it, let that sink in. Ask the Holy Spirit in prayer, would you please give me the faith to trust in this truth that God loves me so much that though I didn't deserve it, he gave me this grace and this gift through his son, Jesus Christ. Church, I am a sinner of sinners. I understand the, abund the abundance of God's grace because I can look in the mirror, I can look in my past, and I can see who I am. But this gift, this gift of God, like we said, but God, right? This gift of God has made me alive together with Christ. And I know it's eternal. You see, as we're wrapping up this sermon, our problem is we couldn't do anything to earn it. The only person that did was Jesus Christ. 
See, I'm in this condition because I'm born into sin and I sin by nature. But Jesus was born into a sinful world, yet he was completely perfect. Never in his life did he disobey the will of the Father. Never in his life, even though he was tempted like every single one of us, did he ever sin against his God and against his Father in heaven. Yet this amazing man and my Savior and our God goes to the cross and gives himself up willfully that he would experience the very wrath of God for sin upon himself. That it would be poured out completely on him so that we believers could come to a point where God leads us to this amazing faith and trust in him. And we could live secured that he is our good shepherd, that he is my redeemer, that his work on the cross was exhaustive, and that my eternity will forever be secured in him. But he begins with this gift, the gift of grace. If you're here, and I'm speaking to two different people, If you're here and you would say you're a believer, but you still struggle with this idea of grace, then go and pray that God would grant you the understanding through scripture and God would cause you to to, to trust this truth because there is a love toward God that that will emanate from this truth in your life that you've never seen before. I know it, I've experienced it. I used to try to work my way into salvation all the time because I thought I could lose it. And if you're in here and you've never heard of this Jesus, you've never understood or heard about this grace and you're not necessarily a religious person, well, my prayer for you today is that the spirit of God is working in your hearts and that he would open your eyes of understanding and he would cause you to trust this truth and live in it. We are Grace Bible Church for a reason. And we proclaim that truth every Sunday for a reason we have to remind ourselves that God's grace is the only basis for our salvation and it's a gift from him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and kindness. We thank you that you lead sinful hearts to the truth of the gospel. That you do this because of this great love with which you love us and this mercy that you bestow upon us in this grace, this gift that you give us. Father, I just pray that you would be glorified through this truth in our lives and as a church and, as in, and within our community that we could continue to share this truth with others. Thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name.